Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on yet another sunny day here in the capital. Long may it last. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Steve Jacobs, Chief Executive of Advies Wealth Management. Advies Wealth Management is a pension specialist financial advisor firm. Steve, hello. Uh, good morning, Matthew, and thanks for having me on. Thank you for coming on the show. We might as well dive straight in. What does the word leader mean to you? I think uh, it's uh, about um, having the confidence to make decisions that uh, affect other people and uh, having the confidence to change the direction uh, of business um, to suit the uh, ever-changing environment. And how would and how would you describe your leadership style? Um, I would say that uh, generally I'm quite relaxed. I've got a good team around me that um, know exactly what they're doing, and uh, and so I tend to be uh, quite hands on, um, but not to the point where um, I'm having to intervene with things are, that uh, other members of staff are doing. So tend to take an overview of the business, but actually working mm-hmm. in it as well as on it. I hear from a lot of uh, chief executives uh, like yourself uh, that there is this overwhelming drive to kind of get stuck into into projects uh, that have been delegated. And I understand that's a, it's a real difficulty to, to manage to stay away from that. Uh, how do you handle delegation within your organization? I think that that is um, a general problem because uh, if you've built a business up from something quite small, you tend to want people to do things in the way that uh, you do things yourself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And over the years, what I've found is that um, uh, intervening can uh, upset the, the flow. People have to be able to demonstrate their own uh, styles of moving things forward. Mm-hmm. And so uh, in the later years, I've realized that actually uh, even though I might not necessarily agree with the way that something is being uh, carried out, um, mo- most of the time the uh, ultimate ob- objective is achieved. And so um, it allows whoever's dealing with that project to manage the project in their own style. Now let's wind back the clock to a time when you were first starting out in your career. Was there a particular influence on you that has molded you as the leader you are today? Um, I wouldn't say that uh, that particular people have moulded me, but I literally did start out with just a telephone and uh, and a laptop computer, and so you very quickly realise that you uh, either sink or swim, and so the um, the need to actually drive the business forward uh, has probably made me always worried about um, things that can disrupt the uh, flow of business and have an adverse effect. So I I don't think it's necessary people that have influenced me, but I would say it's probably um, circumstances. So it's your experiences that have molded you more than any uh, one individual. Exactly. 
Now, of course, there is a, a changing workplace and uh, generations change in, in workplaces all the time. Uh, what's your advice for the next generation of emerging professionals in your field? Um, we, in the industry that, we, we've, that we're in, I think that we've had to be a bit of a chameleon business uh, and we've had to change uh, not just the people within the business, but the, the business models uh, itself. Um, and we've been um, an early adopter of um, the, the apprenticeship schemes and we've taken people on through the apprenticeship schemes. And um, so there's been, over the last 20 years, a drive for uh, for, um, for students to be taking degrees. But actually, um, I actually think that uh, it's it certainly in, in our industry, uh, professional qualifications are probably more important than having a degree. And so um, I think there's a, there needs to be a recognition that there is a, a way to a professional co- career without having to necessarily have a, um, a, a university degree behind you. And those, of course, very important words, because at the moment in the educational establishment, there is this push uh, towards higher education. It almost seems like a self-fulfilling sort of economy within education. You know, you encourage one generation to go to university and then next generation needs a master's and so on and so forth. Uh, What can be done to address this uh, within schools? Um. I think that the um, the perception is slowly changing, and you're absolutely right. Um, the, the 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 value of a uh, a degree, um, bachelor's degree, is has become uh, less important. And as you say, uh, to have a master's degree is now the thing that you need to have to make yourself stand out. Um, but actually, um, there are routes to professional. Uh, qualifications that are more relevant to industries uh, like ours than actually uh, going to, going to university. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I would I would say that there needs to be a, a drive towards um, people recognising that you don't necessarily have to go to university and then have a, a, a large debt to deal with for much of your working life. Mm-hmm. And certainly in this industry, there are professional bodies such as the Chartered Insurance Institute or the uh, London Banking and Finance uh, that, that offer professional qualifications that you can uh, study whilst actually working on the job. And having a degree doesn't actually give you the qualifications that you need to be a financial advisor. And so even with a degree, you would then have to still do professional qualifications. So in some ways, you could end up uh, spending quite a lot of your time at university when actually you didn't really need to. Now let's open this up to a much broader field. If I pressed you to identify the greatest leader, living or dead, who would that be? The, the greatest. Sorry, I missed that. The greatest leader, living or dead. Um, I actually think, uh, and this is probably probably a bit of a, a cliche, really, but. I actually think uh, Richard Branson has probably got to be mm-hmm. uh, one of the, the greatest leaders, I think. And if you think about where he came from, 
I mean, he was um, the the, uh, the the person that actually took Mike Oldfield on to record Tubular Bells when nobody else would. And that was actually start, what started him off in uh, his um, career. And then when you look at the, the next level up and he uh, started Virgin Airways, that all came about because he was in the Bahamas uh, on holiday and there were uh, there, there was a lack of flights to take people out because of um, some circumstances that were out of their control. And he actually took the initiative to charter an airline and actually sold tickets for this, for this chartered flight. And actually, that just shows a massive level of initiative. Absolutely. And, uh, and you don't see that very often. Well, that's an excellent... Uh, Example for uh, people to aspire to. It, it is showing that drive and initiative uh, to push forward. Unfortunately, our time together is very quickly drawing to its close. But before I let you go, what does the next twelve months have in store for Advi's wealth management? The um, the financial markets are um, going through quite a lot of changes at the moment. Um, one of our focuses is on the final salary pension market. And because of the difficulty for companies to get their professional indemnity insurance in place, and because the Financial Conduct Authority is quite uh, against uh, people moving out of final salary pensions, the number of advisors that are able to offer that service has diminished uh, dramatically. Um, we're one of the few companies uh, that is able to carry out that work. And so I actually think that for the next 12 months, that's probably going to be one of our major focuses. And that that's, that's a quite a big part of holistic retirement planning. Mm -hmm. Well, Steve, it's been an absolute pleasure discussing leadership with you, and I very much hope you come back on the show at some point in the near future. Steve, thank you. Thank you very much, Matthew. Much appreciated. That was Steve Jacobs, Chief Executive of Advies Wealth Management. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, we're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> Well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Although there are one or two people who are very familiar um, uh, who do Google me, realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool, many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and... um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was... But, Lucky to be playing, I guess, with one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first-class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer, but... Um, whether it's business or cricket or, or football, obviously 
the importance of leadership, it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and a manager over many, many, many years. He and he's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess. He would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd work with. So you're very fortunate. I think you, you just think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood and, of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that of that calibre can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's, that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players. And of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peter's? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the caliber of the players I did. Again, mm-hmm. again, extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters, who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved and what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more, looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy in the same age group as me. And I looked at how he, how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence. Um, me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly in all walks of life, leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident, I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships, and you could almost tell when you walked into the business, uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the value and quality of leadership and that's why I'm very fortunate to be involved in my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Al Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that, but obviously... Uh, after uh, at West Ham, your uh, plane came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man, I'm sure, when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most 
powerful influence who, who had on me um, as a person. Um, mm. Naturally, it, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand, whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you. It can have a, a great impact on your, <laughs> your career and of course your life. But yep. in that era, I was involved for six or seven years. He, it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very, very strict. Probably at a time, at, maybe overly strict, but at a time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across, and very few people. And he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who he didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people, and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn for you, and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned, and I've taken it on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in the group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless of that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think... Uh a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, Jeff, you could uh, perhaps pick right now that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team or certainly in the squad and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of a group. Um, so that that's that for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be, be playing. In, in the team, but in a couple of friendly games, more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway, I think in Denmark, mm. I didn't. I played two of the four games, and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England. And he he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay. He started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Hunt. so mm. I, I had an impact of thinking I, at that stage I like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Glee's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think Mm. I was just happy to be I'd be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't. You're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really. Looking back, out, mm. 
So I never really felt people talk about pressure a lot and it's there and people players talk about people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessarily feel any great pressure pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he'd moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Al showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very, I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Uh, we had some great players, but overall, they were great, hard-nosed professional players. Um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realise there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows. In fact, starting this week over the next uh, three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And there's, I won't mention both. It's too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, The other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And of course, I jokingly say, "Yes, I was just about to to shoot to score the goal, and I looked round, put my foot on the ball, and looked round for a little while, and said, oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch.' So that's uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke and make a joke about that, and saying, "Yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited, but just had a, had a glance round, you know." Maybe it does prove there are things that such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there, are, there certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and the most stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely... But I can use that now because it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we... Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You want. You got time. I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay. So I was uh, doing a, a at a dinner in the you know, Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about twenty minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening. And there was usual football questions, and then all of a sudden, I heard a, somebody at the back who who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Uh, well, and that you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like I that. But then again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did. Uh, um, it did but make then again, laugh if, you put, if you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. <laughs> um, but there, there would have become a point, though, um, 
Jeff, I think um, you, you were a young man when this happened, when you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you, or did you just realise that by, by quick, one way or the other, people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are. There are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and, of course, in, uh, England fans who... Um, I, I think probably uh, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest that I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, well, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it's, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it. Uh, perhaps um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a uh, helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you how you behave and set examples on and off the pitches, people must realise that that's, that has an influence, how you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field. Surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team laterally. Um, yeah. And, and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader? Um, well, a, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to. Uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's that a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team, if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that, that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely. That's, that's absolute leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson is just absolutely, mm. you've got to take him as the first example, but Klopp's only done this over a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the, 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United and subsequently since he's gone how they they are not doing so well he's the best example of management I've seen, we've seen, we've probably ever seen and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again it's ast- absolutely astonishing astonishing and do you think, could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing Teams today? Yes, I think so. I think yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they uh, Ron Green was yeah. Well, the, the answer, straightforward answer, is yes. 
Um, That's a good they, answer. <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with, um, I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England, who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were, I was very fortunate, and I wouldn't pick any one player out. I think looking at so that, many. yeah, so many, and that's why we were successful because we had so many um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team. I think that that was outstanding, and uh, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody. And I'm going back on an earlier earlier question for me that um, all. Hard-nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days every year uh, up until about five years ago. Of course, with, with the sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on all together. All those years later, it didn't just finish after '66. That reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit. Mm. Um, Getting on with each other lasted for, for a long, long, long time, and I wouldn't. And when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those, I would pick every one of the eleven players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else; they were all outstanding, and I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big absolutely. a part that was, and I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We had some great players. You- we had some great players, of course. But without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, you, we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the, the, the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts, but with it. Yes, the word, the, word is team, the, word is, the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk sometimes. You know, together, everyone achieves more. And that, that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, uh, if looking, if, if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life, what would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single-mindedness, uh, single-mindedness dedication, dedication to the job, um, thinking about that, that, that role, that job in leadership all the time it's a huge part of your life I don't think you can switch off when you're in in business at the top level or sport at the top level you may you know have a a couple of weeks holiday but I'm even sure if if these top managers and leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm I'm sure there's not uh, they will not switch off for for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation, and I think that's you're completely focused. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life 
to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over this, go over the past and just uh, refresh my my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence and leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.